Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, we're in a new series. If you have your note sheet, um, it is Rescue is Coming. And as, as I was exploring, if you don't have a fill-in-the-blank note sheet, raise your hand and someone's going to give you one. Um, rescue is Coming. We're finishing up the life of Abraham in our Genesis narrative. But we've got one down here. Aaron needs one. Um, but as I was looking ahead these next couple weeks heading towards Easter... It really seemed like this theme of rescue was coming up again and again in these chapters of Genesis. And as I just thought about the message of Easter, and every year pastors have to kind of think, how do we preach on the same text? I bumped into my, uh, my mentor, my pastor, Ben, the other day, and I was like, you all good for Easter? And we're both like, no. We're like, we're going to talk about Jesus and the resurrection, but I don't, otherwise I don't know what exactly we're going to talk about. Um, but this idea that he's the God who rescues um, in, in whatever trouble we find ourselves in, just kind of really got into me. And so we're in this, give me this kind of this new series. We're going to see how God rescues us from disaster, that God rescues our marriages when they're in trouble, uh, that God rescues us uh, from the worst possibilities uh, and the ultimate cost. And so that's kind of what we're going to be exploring these next couple weeks. But really, there's nothing like a good rescue. I think there's just something about a really good rescue that moves our hearts and our spirits and our minds. Last year, my 12-year-old son, Josh, got to be the lead in the musical Oliver that my parents' theater company did. And Oliver is this orphan, and he's on the streets, and he gets into some trouble, and he gets rescued out of that, and he gets adopted into a new family. And it's such a moving, powerful story. And then this year, my daughter, uh, Rebecca, who's 10, got to be in the musical Annie. Uh, as the littlest orphan, and Molly, and something about that story too. Annie's this orphan, and she gets rescued and redeemed out of an orphanage and out of a terrible situation. Uh, and and this, what is it about that story? Or when you see maybe on TikTok or an Instagram or something, you know, some story about you know a pet who saves its owner or does something. And it's like, what is it about those stories that that move our hearts so much? I think that those stories echo the heart of God. And the Father's heart is, is, is towards rescuing and redeeming his children who have become far away from him. And so that's why I think this idea of he's the God who rescues us, that rescue is coming, it can move us so powerfully. And then we're going to see what's our response to that. Well, as we've been journeying through Genesis, we've been, you know, we started off in, in Genesis 1, and God created us to have a relationship with him. Genesis 3, sin comes in and, and wrecks uh, our relationship with God and, and creation and others. Sin comes in and wrecks our family relationships in Genesis chapter 4. And, and then, and then in, in January, we started in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham out of Babel, out of Babylon, and, and, and back to the promised land. And so we've been following this one man 
Abraham and his wife. And last week, we saw, you know, it was a good day. Jesus came and, and, and had lunch with Abraham. But then Abraham stands in the gap. And he says, God, will you destroy the city if there's 50 righteous people, right? And he goes down, 45, 40, 30, 10, for only 10. And then he stops there, though, at 10. He doesn't keep going. But we, the, God's heart, though, is, is for us to intercede and stand in the gap. And we said, the problem is, there is no one righteous, right? If only Jesus is righteous, but through Christ we can receive a righteousness. And for those of us who have bowed the knee to Jesus and said, yes, we want to follow you, Jesus, Christ's righteousness gets credited to us. And so now what's our response? And so last week we saw that Abraham stood in the gap, but it wasn't enough. And the city of Sodom is so evil that God is now going to have his judgment upon this city. And so when Abraham was interceding for Sodom, what's he thinking about? Again, he's thinking about his worthless nephew, Lot, who was a lot of trouble. If you remember, Abraham and Lot had to separate, and we said sometimes it's necessary to have boundaries with people we love and and family members, and so God sometimes separates us out. (laughs) Sometimes God separates us out, and that's okay. But it said, you know, Abraham and Lot, they separate And then Lot goes to live near Sodom. And then he slowly makes his way to right outside Sodom. And that's when then, remember these kings of Babylon, they come and and they take Lot away and and he's captured. And then Abraham comes in and he rescues Lot. And what does Lot do? He moves back exactly to where he got into trouble. It's like out of all the places in the world, Lot, you could have moved back to, you go back to that same place. It's like, yeah, you know, I got shot in a crack house, and then I had to spend six months, you know, in, in, the, in the ICU. And then as soon as I got out, I went right back to that crack house, right? That's like Lot. It's like, why are you going back to this troubled spot? But not only is he just outside the city, we're going to find he's inside the city, sitting at the gate as a leader. But fortunately for Lot, God is the God who rescues, amen? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to talk through this. And then what does this mean to us today? Genesis chapter 19, I think we'll have the scriptures up here too. There there we go. Uh, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Again, Lot has moved from kind of near this culture that's not good, you know, and then right outside of it, and now he's fully involved in the culture. There's really no difference, and he's sitting in the gate in this time. That would mean he's in leadership in that city. And when Lot saw them, the angels... He rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So Lot's going to show hospitality. This is good. So far, so good in this story. Verse 4. Before they lay down, so bedtime... The men of this city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. All right, this is biblical language for doing sexual harm to them. All the men of the city. This isn't just some of them. They're wanting to do horrible violence to these strangers in their midst. There's nothing subtle or secret about their behavior. These are some evil behavior. 
And Moses, who's most likely in writing this, the last thing he wants his audience to do is to have any kind of, come to the defense of Sodom. It's like, no, 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 these people are not righteous. This is horrible behavior. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the roof, shelter of my roof. Now, Lot's response is pretty startling, to be honest. He's like, I got these two daughters. Take them instead. Is he really offering them up to be gang raped and murdered? It's possible. Or one way to read this is he's saying, I'd as soon as you have you violate my family members as these guests in my house. It's like sarcastically saying to your mortgage company, like, oh, if you're going to take all this money, why don't you just take the clothes off my kid's back and the food off their table, right? You're not really meaning that, but perhaps he's trying to, like, say this as a way to, like, prick their consciences, like, no, 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 like, as soon as I have you take my daughters as do this to guests in my house, but either way, this evil mob has their mind set on doing violence, and they're not going to be dissuaded, And now they're going to threaten Lot with the same violence. Verse 9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. He came and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men, the angels inside, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great So they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Verse 12. Then the men, the angels, said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people have become great before the Lord. They're so evil and wicked. They've done so much violence. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, so they're like engaged in this culture. They haven't been married yet. He says, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-law to be jesting. Uh, one commentator said the Hebrew here is like, like someone who tells coarse joking. And so clearly this is who Lot's personality was more like. That he was more likely to tell kind of, uh, you know, not great jokes than them actually believe he'd heard from God and some kind of word, and they're like, what are we? We don't believe you. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him, the angels, and his wife, and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, they said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Lot's lingering where he shouldn't be, but God, who is merciful, grabs him by the hand and is like, no, we got to get out of here. And Lot, Lot said to them, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness and saved my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. He's like, I'm so used to city life. I can't go up there. Behold, this little city's near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And the angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow this little city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, 
for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city is called Zor. And the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the land. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. It's one of those stories you're like, what is going on here? Why is this in here? How is this good news? Well, let's look at this, all right? Well, first of all, the fact that Genesis says she became a pillar of salt doesn't mean she was miraculously transformed. Maybe she was. But the destruction is described in terms of sulfur and fire raining down these cities. Some have speculated that the combustion of natural tars and sulfur deposits and the release of noxious gases during an earthquake are what caused this destruction by God. And the mineral salts, you have sodium and potash, magnesium, calcium chloride, bromide, uh, and the earthquake may have ignited these chemicals, causing them to rain down in the cities. And perhaps many who were not burned could be described as pillars of salt as fallout of this destruction. One thing to note, too, is the angel said he cannot do anything until Lot and his family reach the small town of Zor. So, no destruction happened until they reached this small town. But we see in verse 23, the destruction indeed does not begin until they get there. That means when Lot's wife looks back, the destruction had not yet begun. That's something I hadn't really picked up on before. I always kind of think of it as like they're running away, you know, they're trying to get to the, the safety, and then behind them, you know, fire and brimstone are behind them, and Lot's like, don't look. And, you know, and, and Lot's wife turns around to see the destruction. But clearly we see that didn't happen until they reached the small town. So my guess is Lot's wife didn't believe him. And when it says she looked back, there's some um, implication here that she actually turned back and went back to the city. And so can't you imagine it? They're on their way. They've been traveling for hours. And finally she's like, Lot, I've had enough. I don't believe this story of yours. You're a fool. I'm going back to the city. I'll see you there in a couple days when you come to your senses. And she goes back. The angel gave Lot and his family three commands. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Number one, it's run. Get out of here. Paul talks about us running the race set before us. I think all of us are given this instruction to run as those who are running for Christ. And we are to run our race. Not fleeing something necessarily, but moving towards something, what God's calling us towards. So where are you at in life? Have you been just kind of stagnant and, and, and not moving. And there's times we have to wait and be patient. But I think there's times, too, when God calls, God calls us to run. Hey, leave this behind. This is not healthy. And go to what I'm calling you towards. Second thing the angel says is don't look back. Don't look back. It's so easy to second guess and say, wow, did I not hear from God? Did I mess it up so bad that God can't redeem this mistake? 
and, and to take our eyes off the prize, which is Christ, and instead to look back. I can say, man, that's such a temptation I, I, I face all the time. God bless me, curse me with like a very, very good memory. Like, and so like, I'm able to like remember like the, my tests in seventh grade, what they look like. like that's just, so, so because of that, like, I can remember every bad decision I've ever made, right? And it's, it's, kind of, yeah, it's not great. And so it's easy for me to be like, man, did I mess this up? But I have to trust. No, no, no. Like, I'm not that important. God, I'm not that powerful. God is way more powerful. And so we can't look back. We can learn from that, but we got to look ahead towards Christ. Amen? Number three, he says, don't stop. Don't stop. Some of you maybe are tempted to stop right now. You're working towards something. Maybe it's launching that new business or you're in a relationship or you've been working towards something and you're tempted to quit. I think God will tell you tonight, don't stop. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing. Don't stop hoping for that person that you're standing in the gap for and you're interceding for them to come to know Christ. It may take decades, but don't stop. That dream God's put in your heart and you feel like, I don't know, don't stop. Abraham was 75 when he was called out of Babylon. I don't think there's many people over 75 in the room. So God is just getting started. Don't stop now. In verse 17, it says, don't direct your attention on what you are leaving. I think that's a good word for all of us, right? As our church enters this new season, as many of us are going through transitions in life, Don't focus on what you're leaving or what you've lost or how life was pre-COVID or all these things. Focus on Christ, what he's calling us towards. God is the God who rescues. And that allows us to live with hope. That Lot, he was a lot of trouble. The book of Hebrews says that he was a man of faith. I don't see it. But I I trust that the author of Hebrews was inspired. But when you look at this, you're like, man, this guy was not worth saving. He didn't do anything, right? But God comes in and grabs by the hand and is like, you're lingering. Let's get out of here. I think all of us can relate to that. That we're like, man, I wasn't worth saving, but God stepped in and he saved us, amen? And because of that, because he's the God who rescues, that allows us to live with hope. If you're taking notes, you can write this down as hope is what allows us not to be defined by our past, but by the future God has provided for us. Hope is what allows us not to be defined by our past, but by our future that God has provided for us. Hope is what allows us to break free from addiction and disappointment and discouragement, amen? The church planner Paul who traveled with Luke, and, and they served together, and he planted a bunch of churches. He says it this way in Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And you who once were living in Sodom, who once were living in sin, who once were living in addiction, who once were living gripped by anxiety, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, unrighteous He has now reconciled to his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul says, once you were, once you were trapped in Sodom, once you were not worth saving, but now, through Christ, you have been reconciled. Amen? Amen. 
See, all of us have some once you were stories in your life. Once you were this way. Once you were held captive by this thought. Once you were disobedient. Once you were broken. Maybe now some of you are still in your once you were stories. Once you were addicted, out of control, lazy, self-centered, abusive. We've all had these moments. And my hope is that if you're still living a once you were story, you can experience the three words that Paul shares next. He has now. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That means on the cross, he has reconciled us to God. And we now become righteous in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus steps in. Jesus rescues. Amen. And here's the good news. It doesn't say you have now. What does it say? He has now. It's nothing that we do. It's what Christ has done for us. He has reconciled us. And as a result, you are holy, blameless, above reproach, healed from your past. We've seen those kind of stories here at Mosaic in these last seven years. The, the kind of stories that people are full of hope becoming realized. Honestly, nothing fires me up more than people moving from once you were stories to embracing the truth that he has now. Rescue is coming. Do you believe it? It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what's been done to you. He has now reconciled you. And hope does three things. You can take notes or write these down. Number one, hope provides healing from your past. See, we've all been through brokenness. We've all been through pain and hurt. I don't trust a pastor who doesn't walk with a little bit of a limp. <laughs> when it seems like their life has all been smooth sailing and, and they never tear up, I'm like, man, I don't know if I trust you. What are you trying to sell me? Right? We've all had some kind of past. We've all experienced broken relationships. We've all made mistakes. We've all had times where we've wondered, God, is this your plan? But the beautiful thing is God can heal us from our past. Hope provides healing from whatever you've been through. Your dad, who was not the man he should have been, that left you scarred. Hope provides healing for that. That you were in a relationship and they cheated on you. Hope provides healing from that past. That you made a mess of your finances and you're not sure how you're going to move forward. Hope provides healing from that past. Second thing hope does is hope gives us faith to overcome our current circumstances. That when we have hope that we know we have once this way, but now he has, we have hope to believe that we can put our faith and trust in him, that we can overcome our current circumstances. That even when we linger when we're not supposed to, God will grab us by the hand and get us out of there. That whatever it is you're going through right now, God is there in it with you. That's good news, amen? Hope gives us faith to overcome our current circumstances, whatever it is we're going through. And hope also moves us to dream about the future. Number three, hope gives us a possibility for the future and helps us believe that things can be different. Hope allows us to dream of the possibility of a future and believe that things can be different, that the way things are right now doesn't mean that that's the way they're going to be forever. You can dream that life can be different. Your marriage can be different. Your relationships, your friendships, your business, whatever that thing is that you feel stuck in, it can be 
different. Your relationship with God can be different. If you feel distant and disconnected from him, it can be different. But it's not what we've done. It's what Christ has done, amen? That is what gives us hope. That is the truth we're going to stand on, church, amen? And so I've been thinking and praying a lot about this new season that we are in and, and just, God, what are you calling us to, to do and to be? And, and again, this idea of rescue is coming. And I just want to ask you all to just keep, to keep praying for our church, for the city of Maple Grove and the surrounding cities. I believe this is a new chapter for our church. And, and, and as I look around at what's going on and what God is stirring up with, with the Jesus Revolution movie coming out and, and uh, Asbury revival and, and the He Gets Us Super Bowl ads, which was the number one most talked about and tweeted about ad out of all the Super Bowl commercials. I have to believe God is stirring up something. And church, that, that may mean taking some bold steps of faith. And this move was a bold step of faith. But if we look around and what's been happening the last couple of years, it's not working, Right? So we may have to take some bold steps and have faith that God is going to be with us and that things can be different. And I believe the spiritual climate right now in America, in our city, in our state, God is stirring some things up. And this time of the year is, is a great opportunity to invite someone to come, to join your church family, to visit, to, or just take them out for coffee and share the reason for your hope. And so let's be praying as we move towards Easter that God will bring some people to our church family who need some hope and that we are ready to love and receive them. I believe God has stirred things up in our church and brought some new partners and and shaken some things out and pruned us. And now we are in, in a healthy, wonderful place and ready with open arms to receive some people not because we want a big church, but because people are dying and going to hell, amen? Yes, and that should break our hearts. And, and if we believe truly that Jesus is the hope of the world, why would we not share that good news with others? So let's be praying that God will use this Easter season to stir things up in our church and the churches that we get to partner with around us in our, in our city. I want to invite the worship band to come down and uh, we're going to close by singing this, this last song. And I wanted to read this passage of 1 Peter kind of over you um, tonight and just receive this. And then um, as the band plays this song and as you sing, uh, Pastor Ryan and, and I haven't come out down too, and we're going to be down here. And, and as we close, I, I kind of was like, Let's stop playing around church, right? And, and if you need someone to pray for you, like, let's, let's do that. Let's pray. Let's get real. Like, like, we're happy to pray for you, just to encourage you. What is going on? And here's what I want to read over you. First uh, Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. Church, we have a living hope through Jesus. Not what we have done, but what he has now done. So that we can move from we once were to he has now. So let's sing. Would you stand with me now? And if you want to come down and receive prayer from Pastor Ryan or me, or just pray for the person next to you, um, pizza's not coming to 5.30, so we got some time to linger and hang out until pizza gets here. But God is good, amen? Amen. Let's, let's sing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.